Welcome to the Concord Online Podcast. Each week, we're going to be bringing you sermons from Concord to be a resource for you to live on mission with us to inspire people to follow Jesus. Let's praise the Lord for a time of worship, can we? It is, man, good to be in the presence of the Lord together. I'm so thankful for all that God's doing in our worship ministry. And just to say it again, man, really want you to be here next weekend. Grab your Bible. Let's go to Genesis chapter 38. We are uh, going to begin our walk toward Christmas uh, here in Genesis chapter 38. You know, there's so many different symbols when it comes to Christmas time. There's uh, light. There's all kinds of candle lightings and different things. And and one of the symbols of Christmas is the Advent wreath and and the The word Advent actually means arrival or appearing or the coming to place. The the Advent season is the four Sundays that lead up to Christmas. And, um, you know, years like this make it so interesting because Christmas Eve is, you know, on a Sunday this year. And so it's, you know, these four Sundays leading up. And by the way, I'm not sure I told you earlier, but Christmas Eve will have regular morning services at 9, 15 and 11, but we'll also have two in the afternoon at 1.30 and 3, all four services will be identical. Does that make sense? So all four services identical on Christmas Eve, 9, 15, 11, 1.30 and 3, and they'll be family-friendly, 45-minute services. We'll have some fun together, light a candle, uh, children's time, like a lot of the things that we've always done. But, but that is when this Advent season kind of culminates as we light the candle that represents Christ. And so if you see behind me this Advent kind of deal here, well, we have different candles. You know, one stands for hope, one stands for peace, one stands for joy, one stands for love, and it is centered around Christ who is the fulfillment of all of those attributes. And so uh, I love this time of year because I get to play with fire. Uh, so e- each week, uh, you know, we'll light one of these candles just to remind us uh, of kind of what we're focused on. And this week and today, we're focused on the hope that Christmas brings. And I don't know a better place to think about the hope that Christmas brings than Genesis uh, chapter 38. You say, Pastor, I can think of many different places that we could talk about hope from rather than Genesis chapter 38. Well, Genesis 38 is the story of Tamar. And if you looked at Matthew 1 to see the lineage of Jesus, you would find Tamar's name. And so when we come to Genesis 38, we're doing more than just having a history lesson in Israel. It's, it's helping us see the lineage of those that contributed to the arrival or the coming or the advent of the Messiah. We, we meet Tamar in Genesis 38 because she married Ur. I mean, aren't you thankful for how your mama named you something other than Ur? Ur was the firstborn son of Judah. Judah was one of Jacob's 12 sons. Now, I, I don't expect you to keep this kind of all organized in your mind, but, but here's what you've got to grasp if you're ever going to understand the significance of Genesis 38, that in Genesis chapter 12, God made a promise to Abraham. And the promise God made to Abraham was that he was going to make him a great nation. Abraham had a son that that promise passed down to named Isaac. Isaac had sons named Jacob and Esau, good. I, I, knew, I believed in you. Uh, Sunday school flannel graphs for the win. You know what I'm saying? Jacob stole the birthright from Esau. 
And so the promise passed through Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons. The 12 sons of Jacob were known as the 12 tribes of Israel. Man, you're doing good. I'm proud of you. Like, it's so hard to talk at a Baptist church, and you're doing it. Like, you're doing except for this high school section. Y'all do it enough. All right, so, you know, it's like, like the idea of like, man, 12 tribes of Israel, one of them was named Judah. And so we meet Tamar through Judah's family, through what was happening and what was experienced through them. In this time, let me just kind of clear up some things. It was customary for marriages to be arranged. And so Judah arranges for his firstborn Ur to marry Tamar. But the scripture records in verse 7 of chapter 38 that Ur was a wicked man and the Lord killed him. There's so much we could say there, but we're moving on. Now, at the time when a person would become a widow or when a woman would become a widow and there was an unmarried man in the family, it was customary that the father would take the unmarried man and arrange the marriage with the widow. It was a way to care for the children of the first union. It was a way to show love to the woman who was now widowed because she had left everything of her family to come be a part of this new family. And so honorably, when Ur died, Judah asked another son, Onan, to take Tamar as his wife. But verse 10 tells us he also did what was evil in the Lord's sight and was put to death. So this is not going well for Tamar. Because now the next one up, so to speak, that Judah could arrange a marriage with was a young child. And so Judah made Tamar a promise and said, hey, if you'll just hang in there, be a part of our family as a widow, that when Shelah, this young boy, was old enough to be married, he would make arrangements for them to marry. Now, for us, that may seem weird and even gross, but, but in this day, that was considered an honorable thing. But then the wheels came off. And, and, and then it became a story of hardship heartbreak, immorality, and great pain. But I want to remind you today with all of this going on and all of the craziness we're about to read in this story that it was still through these people that God delivered a Messiah. Friends, I don't care what you're going through today. I don't care what mess you've made of your life. What we need to recognize and understand this morning is that there is hope from you during the darkness of your brokenness. There's hope for you, no matter what you feel or think about what you're going through. Stand with me and let's study it together. Genesis 38, we're going to pick it up in verse 12. Some of you were nervous about that. We're going to pick it up in verse 12. The scripture says, in the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers, and he and his friend Hera, the Adulamite. And when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil. That's underline that. That's interesting. Wrapping herself up and sat at the entrance to Enium, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw, she saw that Shelah had grown up and she, was not, she had not been given to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, he 
thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. And he turned to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come in to you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, What will you give me that, I may, that you may come in to me? And he answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, If you give me a pledge until you send it. He said, What pledge shall I give you? She replied, Your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. And she arose and went away, and taking off her veil, she put on garments of her widowhood. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend the Adullamite to, to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. And he asked the men of the place, where is the cult prostitute who was at Enneam on the roadside? And they said, no cult prostitute have been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. Also the men of the place said, no cult prostitute has been here. And Judah replied, let her keep the things as her own, or we shall be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat, and you did not find her. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. And she was being brought out, and she sent word to her father-in-law, by the man whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my, to my son Shelah. And he did not know her again. When the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb. And when she was in labor, one put out a hand and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand saying, this one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out, and she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore his name was called Perez. Afterward his brother came out with a scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. Merry Christmas. <laughs> you may be seated. I've been so anxious all week about reading that. <laughs> like these people in this situation seems unbelievable. Like it, it shows us all the trouble. But let me remind you again, like these people are in the lineage of Christ. Like think about it, this baby Perez will grow up to have a baby who will have a baby who will have a baby. And generations later, another baby will be born and he will be known as Jesus the Christ. Like this messed up situation, God is going to redeem for his purposes. You see, Genesis 38 shows that the purposes of God for Jacob's family and from a historical perspective for the nation of Israel would overcome every human obstacle that Satan could put in its place. Like this, this should fill us with hope today because God's purposes are not determined by or destroyed by our lives. Like, like get this through our minds this morning. Like, hear me now. Like, God's purposes for you are not determined by your ability and are not destroyed by your mistakes. God's purposes are eternal and they endure no matter your past or your background. And we have proof of that in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Like, what Jesus does is he redeems. What Jesus does is he restores. What Jesus does is he makes new. 
And this Old Testament example points us to the train wreck that God stepped in the middle of. And that's my testimony and yours too. So what can we learn from this hope today? Like how how can we be filled with hope from a mess that we see in Genesis 38? First, understand that sin has consequences. Understand that sin has consequences. Now when we say that, we're kind of like, all right, like how does the consequence of sin leave me to hope? Like most times those two ideas don't correlate that, that you know, these consequences, they, they're going to help me understand hope. Well, what consequences do is they help us see from which we've fallen. And so for us to realize our need for a savior, we have to understand the consequences of sin. And, and so when we begin to realize the depravity of our own hearts, it helps us see our need for a savior and grants us hope because Jesus has delivered. So many of us, we wanna gloss over our sin. Friends, I don't, I don't believe that you should just kinda of sweep your sin under the rug like we see Judah try to do. I don't believe you can just say, you know, pull yourself up your bootstraps, it's gonna be okay. Like, like while we know God offers forgiveness, there should be some weight to understanding that what our sin does is it breaks the heart of God and it's what nailed Jesus to the cross. Like sin has consequences. Paul wrote in Romans, the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life. So it should not surprise us when we understand the first part of Genesis 38, how Ur and Onan, when they did not honor God, their sin led them to death because that is the natural consequences of sin. And they had a very specific purpose that God had created them for to be a part of his advancing kingdom and movement and ultimately bring about a Messiah. And when they would not fulfill their responsibilities, Their purpose then was not, and they died in their sin. You see, this family is messed up, but through this family, God brought the Messiah in the world. And although sin has consequence, God's plan of redeeming the world through Christ gives us hope in spite of sin's consequences. Listen to what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. The scripture says the Lord disciplines the one that he loves and he chastises every son who he, retrie- he receives. Like he disciplines and he chastises so that we would understand the significance of our sin and be able to see the goodness of our God. Like if we had time today, we could look in so many different places in the Old Testament to watch this play out. Like the the Lord often allows the sins of the Israelite fathers to blow up in their faces. Like you can think about the quarreling that went on between Sarah and Hagar with Abraham. You can can think that, you know, there was fruit of Abram's sin of being a lack of faith. We We can think about, you know, Jacob and Esau and all that happened there to Isaac. Like all of this stuff shows us that, that man, God is bringing about consequences on sin, but it also shows us God's mercy towards sinners. Because although the people in these stories in Genesis are a wreck, God is going to use them to accomplish his purposes. You see, when you study an Old Testament narrative, you, you gotta reach to the overarching narrative. And so look in your Bibles at Genesis 37, and then look at Genesis 39. 
It's, it's interesting, the placement of this story about Judah. At the end of Genesis 37, Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery. You remember the story? Like he was seeing visions and dreams. He was the younger of the 12, and, and the brothers didn't like the visions and dreams. They didn't like the favor that young Joseph was receiving from his father. And so they sold him, they threw him in a pit, and they sold him to Egyptian slavery. Pause. The story of Judah and Tamar. Then in 39, chapter 39, we begin to see Joseph in Potiphar's house. Like, like don't, don't miss this. We're, we're seeing a contrast between Judah and Tamar and the immorality in which they live. And God still providing for his people through Joseph. You see, Judah, he's living with unrepentant sin in his life. The unrepentant sin of betraying his brother the unrepentant sin of lying to his father. And now his children are living in such sin that they're being put to death by Almighty God. Like you, you could say that Judah and his family were living godless lives, which is the consequence of sin. Like, think about how fast this has dissolved. Like, from God's promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and now the next generation, and chaos reigns. And most likely chaos reigned when all the other tribes as well. Because these people kind of went their own way and did their own thing and isolated themselves in such a way that they were dull to the will and the way of the Father. Like, this is what sin does to us, friends. It dulls us to the will of God and the heart of God. We can't know his will, we can't experience his heart, and so the only natural reaction is to live then a cultural life where we find some bit of meaning and purpose. But friends, when you're walking in the will of God and in the way of God and know the heart of God, you don't have some cultural purpose, you have an eternal purpose. And what we see through Joseph is that Joseph lived according to God's eternal purposes and he delivered the family. But the consequence of sin for Judah and Tamar is that they were living these godless lives. They took matters into their own hands. When Tamar learned of Judah's journey, she plotted to deceive her father-in-law by meeting him along the road in verse 14. It's detailed in what happens in, the, in verses 12 through 14 and 15. Like she takes off the clothes of widowhood, like mourning clothes were distinctive in appearance. And so the new dress indicated that, okay, maybe she dressed like a prostitute, but more likely it was her location on the road that suggested her business. She, stays, she stationed herself alone at the entrance to a town so that she could encounter travelers. And it makes a detail that she wore a veil. A veil was a common ornamental garment for women and it accentuated their attractiveness and, and signified an elevated status. She had on this veil which according to culture was not allowed for an unmarried woman. So the, the irony of it is that by putting on the veil to hide her face so that Judah would not know who she was, she was symbolically declaring that she was betrothed to Shayla. And so she's acknowledging she's engaged. 
but she's still taking matters into her own hands. Like it, it hid her identity, but it also declared her pledge to another. And so she took off her widow's clothes. She went to the roadside. She took matters into her own hands. She was viewed upon by Judah and an arrangement was made. And all of a sudden now we understand that there's a problem to be had. Tamar, she so desperately wanted to bring forth a child. She so desperately wanted to contribute to the family. Like all of these things are what she wanted to do, but instead of waiting on the Lord, she took matters into her own hands and the consequences thereof created all kinds of drama. Trying to fulfill his word, he Judah sends his servant back with the goat and she's no longer there. And verse 23, notice with me, it's like, let her keep the things or we'll be laughed at. Friends, this is how cultural people deal with sin. They just try to sweep it under the rug and work it out. They, they just think, well, I just hope nobody will ever find out about it. Like this is the cultural response to sin right here. It's, it's hey, let, let's let her keep it. Um, you know, we don't want to be laughed at. Let's make sure we're okay. Let's just move on. I, I'm telling you, man, if, if you want hope in your soul, you're not just going to move on from your sin. You're going to be redeemed from your sin by Jesus Christ. Too many of us, we're just trying to move past our sin. Too many of us, we're just trying, well, if I just don't think about it anymore, it'll be Okay. But this is the cultural response and this is not who God is and what he wants. He wants to cleanse you and make you new. He wants to complete you and make you whole. He wants to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. And so while sin has consequences because Jesus was born, because Jesus died on a cross, because Jesus rose from the grave, you and I do not have to be enslaved to the consequences of sin. We can live in the liberty of Jesus. And far too many of us, man, we just survive through the consequences of sin. Judah here, he shows no remorse, no repentance he just wanted to avoid an embarrassing situation. But we understand from Jesus and the gospel is you don't have to live life avoiding embarrassing situations. You can live life that being redeemed by the power of God. So recognize the consequences of sin and see the gift that Jesus is. Now he can redeem you from your sin. Second, we can learn from this passage that is hope in our darkness. Yes, sin has consequences, but God is faithful. God is faithful. You see, the faithfulness of God is on display in this passage because he preserves the people of his promise. God could have ended Judah's life and the life of his sons. He could have turned his back and not done what he said he was going to do, but God continued to work. Like, it's so interesting to think about. Like, like, see in Genesis 38, like, the train wreck of the promise. Like, the sons have sold Joseph into slavery. Now, one son, Judah, like, has committed this awful immorality and, and has his daughter-in-law pregnant. 
But yet God was still working behind the scenes because while Judah was immoral, Joseph was a person of integrity. Like while the person who should have been the most angry at the brothers and at God was still holding on to his integrity, while one of those who kind of had it all going well compromised his. Like Judah and the other brothers, they turned their back on the Lord presumably, but Joseph, he withstands the temptation of Potiphar's wife. He gets thrown into prison, but God orchestrates the events of his life so that Joseph's true character would be known. He's placed as the leader of Egypt to prepare for a famine. And one day, Joseph's brothers hear that there's food in Egypt and they come before Joseph, who they did not even recognize, to beg for food. Like God used the tragedy, betrayal, false accusations in Joseph's life to preserve the promise and ultimately deliver the Savior. Like see this wild story unfold. That God is going to use what seems like death to preserve the line of the Messiah. Listen to me today, man. Like, like no matter how broken you are, no matter how mistakes you've made in your life, if you are in Christ, if you've given your life to Jesus, God will be faithful to you. God will be faithful to you. Like he will sustain you and keep you and he will make much out of the mess that you've made. So what are you talking about? Oh, listen to Revelation chapter five, verse five. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has conquered so he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The Messiah was the lion from the tribe of Judah. This makes no sense. Like the immoral one. Like could he have picked like Issachar? Or Joseph? But yet God was going to bring his Messiah into the world through the tribe of Judah, the one who created this mess. God is faithful to accomplish his purposes. Like, do do you see it? Like what God is doing is he is building for himself a kingdom that is not determined or derailed by the efforts of man. And he invites us today into this kingdom because at this time, like in Genesis 37 and 38, like it wasn't looking good for God's plan, but he overcame the attacks of the enemy. While the enemy was trying to destroy the line for the Messiah, God was holding them and and preparing them and delivering them through all temptations and fights. Like that's what we see here in the faithfulness of God. Like do not be confused. The spiritual battle For the Messiah to be born is raging in the book of Genesis. From the very beginning, there has been a spiritual battle and a spiritual reality, and the enemy is trying to destroy God's work and God's kingdom. But every time, God has overcome and delivered because he is faithful to do what he said he would do. Like He will deliver, he will overcome, and he will triumph. What can we do? Find today, what hope can we discover today from this passage? Oh, friends, it's that hope 
triumphs. Sin has consequences. God is faithful and hope triumphs. Hope, it's best to be viewed as a gift from God to give. Sometimes we, we, we think hope is a good feeling or it's, it's a general sense of, of happiness or it's a mental focus or it's an anticipation. But, but, but hope, friends, is, is God's gift to give and he gave it through Jesus Christ. Good cultural hope or secular hope, it's, it's subjective expectation. It's, it's just kind of goodwill, you know, hope so. It's that we are wishful in our thinking and it's that we, we would like for something to change. I, I've got some hopes about what's going to happen at 12 o'clock today on the TV. But that's not biblical hope. So if it doesn't work out, like I don't think it will, I'm going to be okay. But for right now, I hope so. <laughs> like a biblical definition of hope is sure and confident expectation of receiving what God has promised. Like, let me just say it again. Like it's, it's a sure and confident expectation of receiving what God has promised. And, and so the believer's hope is not a faint or obscure wish, but it's actually the anchor of our spiritual lives. Like it's the anchor of our soul. Hebrews chapter six, verse 19, the Bible says, we have this, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that endures in the inner place behind the curtain. Now you say, what, what's he talking about? Remember the the writer of Hebrews is describing to us the Holy of Holies and the high priest who would go into the inner court, go behind the curtain and offer up a blood sacrifice to the Lord for the remission of sins. And so the anchor of our soul, the hope of our life has access to the inner place to provide forgiveness of sins. Like this is how hope triumphs that Jesus has access to God, that Jesus can provide forgiveness, that Jesus can grant life, that Jesus can give hope. Like this is how it triumphs. It doesn't triumph by wishful thinking. It doesn't triumph by self-help. It doesn't triumph by cultural means. It triumphs through Jesus Christ. And that is the hope of Christmas. Yes, like Judah's sin was horrific. It was horrific. But God, being rich in mercy, fulfilled his promise of a savior so that forgiveness could be provided, reconciliation could be accomplished, and hope could be realized. Like, yes, this is bad in Genesis 38, but God's will endures and his grace sustains. Like, this is the gospel today, man. Like, this is what Jesus offers every single one of us. His mercy, his forgiveness, his reconciliation, and his hope. Like if you're here today and you're, maybe you're just considering Christianity, maybe you're here because it's Christmas and you were just invited by a friend. Like, look, Christianity is Christ. 
Don't be confused by the religious expressions that you see in this day. Christianity is about Jesus Christ. He is the only one that can offer you forgiveness. He is the only one that can offer you God's mercy. He is the only one who can provide for you reconciliation. It means he can make you right with God again. And he is the only one that can give you hope. Because when you go to Matthew chapter 1, which is the New Testament version of Ancestry.com. It says this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham, who was the father of Isaac, and Isaac, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Judah, that messy man, and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram. In the genealogy of Christ is all this mess. There is hope for you, man. There is hope for you. Like, repent of your sins. Give your life to Christ. Jesus has won the victory. He's not just won on 4th and 31. He's not just won by beating the number one team of the country by three points. I've, I've got to get him in. He has crushed Satan, and man, he has run up the score. He has left no doubt that he gives hope so give your life to him and find hope this Christmas thanks for joining us this week on the Concord online podcast if you have any questions surrounding today's sermon or simply want to learn more you can do so at concordonline.org make sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with each weekly release 